But the truth is, I'm very honored by who the class is dedicated by today. Because, you know, when you work hard and you work in a school, you get close to students, it's very, very rewarding when you get to see who they become. And one such student who really became everything we dreamed of and hoped of and really became such an unbelievable person for the community is A.B. Shalom. A.B. Shalom dedicated today's class. I, um, yesterday I bumped into him on Purim and he was standing there with his wife and his wife tells me, she says, Rabbi, you know my favorite 45 minutes of the week is when I get to come to the class. She said her favorite 45 minutes of the week is when she comes to the class. I said, Abe, thanks for telling me. Like, I see you all the time. You never told me once. So today he's dedicating the class in honor of his wife, Joyce, who's in the back. So thank you very much, Abe. We're very proud of you. We're proud of your wife. We're proud of the family you're building and the lifestyle you're leading. And so we're very honored for today's class to be dedicated in honor of your, your wonderful spouse, and that's actually the wedding that I made a speech at and made a mistake under the ceremony. That was like very hype. But anyhow, that's not for now. Okay. So, what should we talk about today? Ah, maybe we should talk about the weather. Maybe we should talk about sports. Or maybe we should talk about what everybody on the planet is talking about. <laughs> So, getting ready for Passover. We don't even know if we're having Passover. Anyhow, so I'm going to talk today about. Um, no, we're not going to talk about it the whole time. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I do think we are talking about it the whole time. But I don't think that's going to be the top of the class entirely. But I do think that there's lessons that we could learn for maybe some of the mistakes we're making, that I feel like this corona buzz is kind of pointed to. Now I know it could be in two days from now, this class will be obsolete, either because it won't be relevant, either it'll go away, or God forbid it's worse, and I shouldn't have been talking about it, so excuse me in advance, when something is changing and evolving this quickly, the mood of this country a week ago is different than it was a week before that, so it's likely that in a week from now it's going to be different than it is today. But still, based on the mood we're in today, we're, we're a little nervous, and I think, this is not really the subject of my class, but I think the appropriate mentality to have is you got to be ready for the fastball and ready for the curve. What that means is, is that in your mind, it's very possible that this is completely overdone and it's going to go away and it's nothing worse than the flu, not even as bad as the flu. Or it's also very possible that, God forbid, it's a very disastrous, scary, or frightening thing. And in my mind, I'm not choosing a side. I don't know enough to choose a side, and so I have to want to try to live life dealing with both sides, the fastball and the curve. You know, sometimes the weatherman tells you it's going to snow 10 inches tomorrow. And everyone who's around long enough knows sometimes it snows 10, sometimes it snows 15 inches, and sometimes it snows 2. So it's not, it doesn't take a genius to say, oh, it's not going to snow tomorrow. Okay, we all know the weatherman has been wrong. But you got to be prepared for both. So that's my mentality. But again, that's not really the point of my class. The point of my class is I think some lessons we can learn. 
This week's parashas that we read about the Paratuma. And again, ladies, really thank you for coming. The day after Purim and a few weeks before Pesach, it's not the easiest day to be here. A lot of schools aren't, are not open today because of the holidays, so thank you for being here. We're going to read this week about Paraduma. Paraduma is this red heifer, this red cow that they would bring. And the reason we read it this week, it's like an extra parasha that we read after the regular reading, is because the Jewish people needed to, this paraduma would purify the people, and they needed to purify themselves before they could then bring the Korban Pesach on Pesach. Korban Pesach is not something we do today. Paraduma is not something we do today. Yet the lessons from both are things that are very relevant today. Because our rabbis actually have this debate that we're not really here to resolve. But they say, which one is greater? Which one's more important? The paraduma, this red heifer, or the korban Pesach, the sacrifice that he brought before Pesach. And there are those commentaries that ask, like, why are you comparing these two things? What do they have to do with each other? What does this red heifer have to do with the korban Pesach? So, I'm going to answer it like this. Why do we bring the korban Pesach? Why did they bring the korban Pesach? I'll tell you why they brought the korban Pesach. Pesach's only a month away. I know it gets women scared. But it's, it's okay, inshallah, the holiday is going to be good. Some way, somehow, we're going to celebrate it. I don't know if you're going to be here or there or there or there. Yes, you might be in your room by yourself, <laughs> you know what I mean, talking yeah. to your husband with a, you know, a cup with a string in the other room. But we're going to have Pesach somewhere or another. So why, is, why did they bring the Korban Pesach? And here's the reason. And the reason is that, the Jewish pe- that in Egypt at the time, they would worship the sheep. So much so, and on the month that they would worship it the most was the month that constellation was the sheep, the month of Nisan. So Hashem says, on the month of Nisan, in Mitzrayim, when they were the ultimate moment of when they worshiped this idol, the sheep, I want you to slaughter it. Because I want you to not be pulled anymore by that idol worship. Because the Jews were pulled by that idol worship for years in Egypt. And so Hashem says, I want a mishchu, you got to take yourself out of it and stop that idol worship. Still doesn't sound relevant. Still give me a minute. Why did they bring the paraduma? So I'll tell you why they brought the paraduma. They brought the paraduma because the Jewish people in the desert brought the, committed the sin, which actually in this week's parasha, the sin of the Egel. The Egel was a golden calf, a little calf. And so... Hashem says, I need you to bring a para, para is like a mother cow, bring the para as an atonement for the golden calf. So the para, the mother, comes to like fix up the mistake of the baby of the ego. Still, what does this have to do with anything? So let's get to the point. How is something a kapara and why is it a kapara? Usually when there is a problem, there are some people who address the symptom of the problem and other people address the source of the problem. I recently made this mistake. I had a leak coming through my kitchen ceiling for a while. Until the point that it was getting like all stained on the ceiling and it was dropping a little, whatever. So I got tired of this. So about a month and a half ago, I said, you know what, I'm just going to get the guy, call the guy to go and fix the whole ceiling. He painted it, repainted it, redid it, re-whatever, plastered everything. Redone, good, nice, beautiful. Two days later, two days later, it started leaking again right through the ceiling. It was a disaster. They had to cut out half of the kitchen ceiling. And there's a part of me that says, like, Joey, you're a genius. 
you, you, you fixed the symptom. There's obviously that leak was coming from somewhere. What was your thought process? They're like, the new ceiling now is just going to hold the water up? What was your game plan? What, what were you thinking? How dumb could you be? I really do feel, excuse me, very unintelligent. Because literally it was two days later. The guy wasn't even paid yet. And it was already, when he came to get paid, he looked up at the ceiling that he fixed and it was gone. So it like doesn't make any sense. But a lot of us do this. No, he wasn't such a professional. <laughs> so he didn't know. I think he was happy for the job again. And so you have to look at not just the symptom, but you got to look at the source of the problem. What was the source of the sin of the ego? So, Moshe Rabbeinu, at the end of his life, describes the ego with just two words. Vidi Zahav. And the Rashi explains what does Vidi Zahav mean. Vidi Zahav means that because they had so much gold, and because they had so much wealth from Egypt, that's how the problem came. And so all of the gold and all of the wealth is what caused the problem of the ego. Because you see, wealth is this. Wealth is a great thing. Anybody who has the opportunity to be wealthy would take it. Every single person would take it. Because everyone agrees that wealth is a wonderful thing and it gives you so many opportunities to do so many things. But we often don't recognize the challenge that's inside of the wealth. And so I want to give you a little bit of an analogy to explain what I mean. And I hope it's going to be clear enough what the rabbi, like I said, should really be in bed right now. <laughs> so, I once had a conversation with someone who has an eating disorder. Anorexic eating disorder. I don't know if it's anorexic, not anorexic, but eating disorder. Do you know how eating disorders work? It's a very strange thing to me. Because, let's say a person goes on a diet. Everyone agrees the diet is great. Everyone wants to go on a diet. Everyone wants to lose weight. Diet is great. Go on a diet, go on a diet, go on a diet. All fantastic. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if it's because of the diet, I don't think, I think it's because of other reasons, but all of a sudden it suddenly clicks in their head where they literally don't want food. So a normal person sits down to eat and they want to eat. And someone with an eating disorder sits down and looks at food and they don't want to eat it. So I said to this person, I said, you know what, you have like this backward switch in your head. Because usually when I feel like, oh, I'm stuffed, I shouldn't eat anymore, I really shouldn't eat anymore. I probably shouldn't have eaten before. I shouldn't eat anymore. When you feel, oh, I'm stuffed, I shouldn't eat anymore, your body is literally lying to you. Your body is telling you something, and it's not true. You think you feel stuffed, but you're not stuffed. And you think you shouldn't be eating, but you should eat. So you literally have to go against what your feelings are. It's strange because, you know, Hashem made this mechanism in us that we usually feel how we should. So when we put our finger in the fire, it hurts. So we feel like pulling it out or we pull it out. But imagine if when you put your finger in the fire and it didn't hurt, but then when you held it up in the air, it did hurt, you'd have to you'd be confused. Like I have to switch, I, the switch is going the other way. I have to, when it hurts, I'm good. But when it doesn't hurt, I have to pull it out of the fire. That's confusing. Are you following what I'm saying? Or am I sounding like I'm drunk? Am I unclear? It's confusing because what your body's feeling 
is lying to you. And a lot of us may not have this switch when it comes to food, but a lot of us have this. Where there's one switch in our life, that's a lie. There are people that have it with sensitivity. Their body tells them they should be insulted, but very often nothing insulting happened. They just have a backward switch when it comes to sensitivity. Other people have it with anger. You see some people, they just get angry right away, and you're like, nothing happened. They just have a backward switch when it comes to anger. There are people who have, I'll tell you, I have a backward switch when it comes to coming on time. When I look at the time says that I have to get somewhere, and I say, okay, I have a half hour, I'm good. In my head, my body, everything tells me I'm good. But my switch is off. My instincts on it are always wrong. Always wrong, because my switch is backwards. So you could have a normal instincts on a lot of things, and then you have backward instincts on one thing. Am I being clear? Do you ever have a row of like switches, of like light switches in your house? I have it in the same kitchen. I have like four light switches. And the problem, like you want to just hit them all, and then they all shut off. I hit them all, they all go off, and one goes on. Because there's always one switch that goes the other way. Like that's not aligned. And so it's like so frustrating because you just, you want to go outside to sleep, and you just go boom. And then the middle light goes on. And then you forgot which one it is. And you so, so, but the truth is, we all have this. That we're very normal. Some people are very normal when it comes to when they should get out of bed. And very normal when it comes to have sensitivity. Very normal with anger. But, but, and very normal with coming on time. But not very normal with like when to laugh. And they always laugh at the wrong time. It's just some people have a switch that's off. People with eating disorders have a switch that's off. Like, what they feel about food is completely the opposite of what they're supposed to do with food. Did I describe that well enough? Yes, yes. yes? like you sure? Good? Yeah, that was right? Good. A lot of us have that with money. Because we feel like more of this is good, and more of this is good, and more of this is good, and more of this is good. And sometimes it's an opposite switch. Sometimes the more of this is actually challenging us and hurting us because it starts to challenge our ego and it starts to challenge our mentality towards other people. And then sometimes it starts to spoil our children. There are times when we have an instinct, we see our child wants and our instinct says, give it to them. And it's actually a backward switch because the right thing to do is to not give it to them. So often, often this becomes a backwards mindset and a community that focuses on this so much and that cares about this so much, very often we have a backwards switch. Mm -hmm. Very often our mindset towards it is off and we think this is the greatest thing ever and everybody wants it. And after I gave this whole talk, I would still take it. Rob, I press a button and you would be wealthy. I press that button, I press the button. So it's not like we all want it, but we all don't really think enough about the challenges that it creates. And sometimes the instinct says it's gonna make everything better, and the reality is, it really doesn't. One of the things that have been affected in the last two weeks is like everybody's business, like everybody's business. A person told me on, on right before the Megillah on Monday night, he says, Rabbi, in the last three days, 
from the stock market, I lost a million dollars. So wealthy person, not the wealthiest person you ever met in the world, uh, wealthy. I lost a million dollars. Like this, and there's a lot because retail's affected and wholesale because they can't get their goods from China, so that they can't sell their goods on time. And stock is affected. Real estate's been affected for months already. Like, like Hashem sometimes talks to us and says, "One second, I know you're excited." about wealth. And again, that's from, it's okay. It's good. But sometimes, just like being on a diet is good, but sometimes it creates a backward switch. And sometimes it creates this obsession with it, creates an unhealthy mentality. When we talk about it and obsess over it and think about it and talk about other people that have it or that don't have it and where they're going, what are they doing, we're, we're putting ourselves into a frame of mind that is often unhealthy for us and unhealthy for our children. The Jewish people actually saw this backward switch. When they were, when they, how'd they know to make an ego? Where'd they get the idea of making a cow? Like, where'd it come from? A little calf. Where'd the idea come from? I'll tell you where the idea came from. They were C-split. They say that when they C-split, they were able to see unbelievable visions of heaven. And they saw God's throne. And they know there's a pasuk that says that wealth comes from the north. They saw God's throne, and God's throne has four images on the four sides. On one side there's an eagle, on another side there is a lion, on another side there's the face of a man, it's actually Yaakov Avinu. And then on the fourth side, on the northern side, there's the face of a cow, of an ox. And so they saw the ox and said the north, wealth comes from the north, and now we're looking at the northern side of God's throne. So that means that's where wealth comes from. Yosef HaTzadik, who gave food to all of the people in Egypt, to really just, was controlled of the world economy, was called Bechor Shor, was called a short an ox. So they said, you know what, let's create the ox. Because that's really where the wealth came from. And you know what the term was that they said? Ela Elohecha Yisrael, this is your God that took you out of Egypt. Because they started to worship the wealth so much that they made this God out of gold and said that the gold took them out of Egypt. And that mentality is so telling of people that sometimes people believe in wealth so much more than what it is. I tell this to kids a lot of times. I said, guys, you want to be wealthy one day? They say, yeah. I said, no problem. I said, I'll tell you what wealth is like. Wealth is like your left leg. Is your left leg important? Is your left leg important? Yes. What would you do without your left leg? You'd be in trouble. And you'd, everyone agrees, you need a left leg. It's great to have a left leg. But how about if all you had is a left leg? And no right leg, and no arms, and no eyes, and no ears, and no heart, and no soul, and no... You, you, it's important, it's a piece. But there's so much more that has to happen. The Jewish people had become so wealthy in leaving Egypt, that they suddenly started to believe in it. And suddenly started to worship it. When Hashem kind of puts a little halt on our wealth, we need to stop and say, maybe we're worshipping this too much. Maybe we're talking about this too much. You know, I grew up in a house that never spoke about wealth. Never spoke about wealthy people. Never. In fact, I still remember this story. I don't know why it leaves. And by the way, I didn't learn the lesson well enough, because in my house I do sometimes. 
But they, they, I still remember when I was a little kid and I was growing up in deal, and my parents said to me, Joey, you know, there are people that don't have as much as us. You know, you should realize when we're around my family, we're not uh, anything. You know, we have, there are people that don't have as much as us. I was like, wow, there's no way that's even true. Come on, we're rabbis and no one has less than we do. So I went to Shulman Khan, I beat that afternoon. I must have been 10 at the time. I looked around the show, I said, who's the guy who has less than us? <laughs> and I finally saw one guy, I said, that's the guy who has less than us. I'm sure he is the person who has less than us. A few months later, I found out he was the wealthiest family in the world. <laughs> but the point is, we talk about it too much. We think about it too much. We obsess over it too much. And we think it's going to bring us more joy and more beauty in our life than it does. Again, it's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. We all take it and it does help. Just like having legs definitely helps. But it doesn't do everything. And the thought process that it does everything and that it solves everything and that I don't have to work on my character and I don't have to work on my ego and I barely have to raise my children and I don't have to build and spend time with my spouse and my kids. That mindset is toxic. It's a backward switch. It feels good. I gave you a gift. You should be happy. But no, no, it didn't make me happy. Because again, you think it does, but it really doesn't. In fact, there's a famous Gemara that says that the Yetzirah of idol worship was removed in our time. Says the Noam Elimelech, or the son of the Noam Elimelech, one of the great Hasidic rabbis, he says the, the idol worship was removed. But instead we put idol worship into money. And that same temptation that they had for the idols back then is the temptation we have for wealth today. But I really believe there's a bigger problem. And there are some people in the room that are saying, okay, oh, so he's talking about wealth, and I'm not so wealthy, so he's not talking about me. Well, now I am. Because I think we have a bigger problem that we've developed over the last bunch of years. And that is we've become consumed with business. Like, consumed with business. I don't know if you're realizing it, paying attention to it. I'm not sure if you're like that. I'm not sure if you're married to someone who's like that. But it's still, you have sons that are like that. But it seems that we've gone from working hard to working insanely hard. That I, a few weeks ago, called someone up and I talked to him about his kid's wedding, one of his first child's children's wedding. It was like three days before the wedding. He says, oh, the wedding, Rabbi. It's like so not on my mind right now. I'm like, one second. Your first child's getting married. You're a very successful person. You're, you, everything is perfect. Everything should be perfect. And it's not on your like Like you're so consumed with work, you can't think about this. How did we get here? And he even told me a story to me. He says, you know, Rabbi, you know what happened to me? I was one of the first people to get a smartphone. When the first BlackBerry came out, I was one of the first people to get it. And someone <laughs> sent me an email. A customer sent me an email. And I responded at 11 o'clock at night. And the customer said to me, wow, you respond so quickly. I said, and that statement put you into jail. Because ever since then, you think your success is built on how fast you respond. So there's no, we don't work in offices. Even if we go to the office, we work everywhere. 
We work in the car. We work in our house. We work on the beach. We work by the pool. We work on vacation. We work when we're home. We work on Fridays. We work on Saturday, on Sundays. We even talk about work on Saturday. We work on Saturday nights. We're consumed with this. And I don't even mean to be talking about anybody else. Because in this case, I am guilty as charged. I am one of those people who can't go to bed at night if I have unread emails or unread texts. So I need to text and respond. Literally, if I have the, that little red dot that says seven unread emails and six unread texts, I will not sleep well that night. It's not, I'm not exaggerating. There's something about I need to get it all done. So that means all of a sudden I'm going back and forth with someone at 11.15 at night just because I want to get it off my chest. And then I'm doing it again the next morning. And I'm doing it again and again and again. There's a famous statement. Kochi. What's the rest of Rasuk? Ve'otzem yadi. Asali What does that mean? My strength and the power of my hand gave me all of this success. And I saw a question. What's the difference between my strength and the power of my hand? And the answer is that my strength is just like my luck. I'm just a lucky person. That's how I became successful. That's kochi. And then otsemiyadi is because I work so hard, that's how I produce this. This week I was talking to a man who says, Rabbi, you want to know what I do? He got very religious recently. He says, the past few years I go to my office and I learn in the office the whole day. And I've never made more money in my life. Because when we start to get this, this head, that it's all up to how hard I work, and it all depends on how hard I work, it becomes a disease. So you know what Hashem did to all of us? He said, watch this now. Like, I'm going to start shutting down businesses. I'm going to start making people go to the office and have nothing to do because China's closed down. I may make everybody leave their office next week. I may make every school shut next week. I don't know. I don't know what Hashem has going on in the next two, three, four, five, six days. The next week of our life is completely unpredictable. If I told you that life will be completely normal, it's possible. And if I told you that we'll all be walking around with masks, sitting in our room, under the cover, hiding from humanity, it's also possible. It's both are totally possible. So all of a sudden you have this mentality that's going on, that people's offices, they're debating. Most businesses in the past three days have had long, large meetings to discuss what do we do if we can't come to the office next week. And I'll tell you what you're going to see if you can't come to the office next week. You're going to see that you can get everything done with half the amount of work. I'm telling you this so often that you think it's my email, my email, my next email, my response. And I have to respond. I'm going to lose the customer. And like, relax. You're worshiping your work ethic. Work ethic also became a backward switch. Working hard is a great thing. Just like wealth is a great thing. But when it gets ridiculous, it becomes a dangerous idol worship. We got wealth out of Egypt in two ways. What were the two ways? One way was that we got, when we left Egypt, we kind of worked hard. We worked the customer. We went to the Egyptians' houses during the Makav Choshech. When they were all in darkness, we looked through their drawers and saw what they had. Then we went back to the customer and said, this is what I need you to give me. And we pushed them until they gave us, we worked hard. We were regular 
Jewish salesmen during that time. We worked hard to get that money. When we got the money, when we left, when the sea split, we got wealth again. More wealth than we even got in Egypt. And that came completely out of luck. The sea just spit out gold and silver from all the Egyptian chariots and all the Egyptian soldiers. Just All of it just washed up on the seashore. So we got the wealth the first time because of our hard, hard work. And the second time because it just happened by practically by itself. Kochi, my luck, yadi, and my hard work. Both of them happened in Egypt. Both idol worships, so to speak. Both of those things, when you worship the, the success of your hard work, or the pride that you have, and just how lucky you are, both happened in Egypt. So we needed the Korban Pesach to be an atonement for one idol, and we need the Parah Duma to be an atonement for the other idol. We needed one to atone for that idol worship of thinking that it's all my work. And the other one to atone for the belief that wealth is going to change everything. And wealth is going to make everything good. So we got wealthy in two ways. We needed a kapara for both of those two ways. So whether the Korban Pesach and Parah Duma is happening today is not the point. I know you're not doing the Parah, maybe Hanshallah this year will do Parah Duma, maybe Corona is going to be Mashiach, I don't know, they have some kind of Gematria there, Corona with the Aleph, without the Aleph, that equals Mashiach, maybe, who knows, <laughs> maybe yes, maybe no, but anyhow, that's not, but if he doesn't come this year, we'll, we'll not be slaughtering a Korban Pesach, and not bringing a Parah Duma, but at the same time, what the lessons that we learn from those two things are very re more relevant today than they've ever been. The lesson that just thinking that wealth is going to is all the blessing in the world is a backward switch is one, and worshiping that is lesson number one. And lesson number two is that thinking that everything comes from your hard work and thinking that it's only if you work harder and harder and harder and harder and harder that you're going to be more and more and more successful is the second idol worship. And that's lesson number two. Don't worship your wealth and don't worship your hard work. That's what the paraduma, that's what the egel, that's what the Korban Pesach taught us. Don't worship those two idols. Because I don't want to say you do, we all do. We all think that it all boils down to this. So let me give you one lesson and then we're done. Not bad for the day of the Purim. No, I'm somewhat coherent. One, one little thought. A drunken boy yesterday told me this thought in my ear in the middle of a pudding party. And I'm going to give you a thought. I think it's a nice one. He says, there were two people who are famous for their donkey or their mule in the Torah. The first one is Bil'am. Bil'am had a donkey and mule. And they say, in some regard, the rabbis say he was like married to it. I don't know what that means. And then the other person is Abraham. Abraham woke up early in the morning and saddled his donkey in order to go and bring Akedat Yitzchak. Two people. Good. We know Bil'am's way of sort of being married to this. I get that. That's terrible. But Abraham's way seems fine. He's on top of it. He's using it. But listen to this. Abraham is going to the Akedat Yitzchak and there's a very famous pasuk. He tells the two people walking with him, Eliezer Ishmael, Shibu Lachem Machamor, stay here with the donkey. The donkey has to stay behind, and you're staying here with the donkey. Why does the donkey have to stay behind? 
He's using it the right way. He's not married to it. He's on top of it. The answer is this. The answer is that sometimes even when I'm using it right, even when I'm on top of the donkey, which means I'm on top of my work, I'm a hard worker, I'm doing the right thing. Sometimes the donkey's got to stay behind and I have to let go of it and go forward and connect to Hashem with purity. If we have our phone with us everywhere, if we're in, in a business mode everywhere, if we're in stress mode everywhere, if we're involved with things everywhere, we're not living a life and we're definitely not living a spiritual life. So the message sometimes is that you want to stop. If it's you that has this or your husband that has this, honey, put away the phone for two hours, we'll live. Maybe we'll live better. Maybe Hashem will send a beracha if I leave it up to Him. So please, Hashem in this time is stopping us from worshipping these idols because He turned our wealth and our business a little bit, a little bit on pause. Let's learn a lesson from it. Let's learn not to worship this or that. Let's learn to realize if there ever was a time when Hashem was in control of the world, it's right now. And there ever was a time that we feel totally out of control and with very little, very little impact on our destiny, it's now. So stop and sit back and stop worshiping idols and worship Him. Thank you. Thank you.